With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I'm thrilled to be back because I think the time is right for this. And it wasn't always that way. But with Hank and Ronnie and Bill, I think the leadership is right. I think the time is right. I think the state is hungry for unity. Uh, When I was here under Coach Osborne, there was unity of purpose and unity of belief and unity of understanding and unity of support for this program, what it stood for and what it was accomplishing. If I were the athletic director at Missouri, Oklahoma State, or UCLA, my sights would have been on this guy. Doesn't matter that I'm at Nebraska. He is, in my opinion, not only the premier young coach in America, I believe he was everybody's first choice, and I got the pick of the litter. But I want to—I want this program to be something that the people of this state can get behind and be proud of, uh, that these former players can be a part of and be proud of. And we all know what goes into that, the guys that played here. It's toughness, it's pursuit of excellence, it's unity. Those are the type of things that, that Nebraska stood for when we all played here, and, and that's going to happen again. And welcome here to the Husker Online Show. That was head coach Scott Frost uh, over 270 days ago when he was hired as Nebraska's head coach. And we have finally reached the point, guys. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. We will get to see Scott Frost and everything that we've been talking about, writing about, wanting to see on the field Saturday night. Nebraska-Akron national televised game on Fox um, to open up and kick off a, a new historic chapter of Nebraska football history and and guys there's just so much that we don't know and I I think until we see a couple games of how it's all going to look there's just that much more intrigue and I think the rest of the conference the rest of the country really wants to see what Scott Frost can do with Nebraska in just one year's time and kind of lay the foundation of maybe what this program could be in the future well yeah there's been a lot of hype obviously Uh, when Scott Frost came to Lincoln he brought a pretty impressive resume along with him you know I mean what he did at Central Florida had never been done in the history of college football Uh, he was you know the unanimous coach of the year and so there was a lot of clout um, that I think backed up all the things that were being talked about and projected when it comes to not only this season but for years to come as he kind of rebuilds this program Um, and it's been filled with a lot of optimism and a lot of that has been stemmed from the coaching staff themselves I mean they've had some pretty glowing reports about some areas of concern uh, that a lot of people pointed to going into the season you know the secondary seems to be a lot in a lot better situation than it was at the beginning of the year Uh, they found their quarterback Uh, the running back situation seems to be much deeper than it has been in years past we all know about the receivers. The offensive line has progressed well. The defensive line has more depth. And, you know, I mean, just go down the list. Everything seems to be trending in the right direction. But the fact is that they have yet to play an actual opponent yet. And so now, finally, this week, we will actually get to see some tangible evidence as to where this program actually is uh, nine months into the Scott Frost era. And that will go a long way, I think, to setting the tone of what we can expect the rest of the year. Obviously, it's just one game week one. 
but at least it's it's we can see things with our own eyes and not just rely on secondhand reports uh, from practices uh, to actually gauge an opinion about what this team this year actually is. I feel like a lot of the the excitement extends beyond Lincoln or, or the state of Nebraska too. I, I think there's some excitement on the uh, as far as the Big Ten conference goes, and, and from a national perspective too. I think a lot of people are wondering, um, you know, how is this offense and defense going to going to look in the Big Ten? And and a lot of people are wanting to see Nebraska finally beat Nebraska again. Um, you know, people beyond just Nebraska fans. I, I think that as a whole, uh, you know, I think from national reporters or whoever, I think a lot of people are are looking forward to seeing Scott Frost kind of resurrect this program and um and, and I, we'll get our first taste of that saturday sean callahan robin wash at nate klaus as uh, we discuss opening things to watch here uh nebraska versus akron and you know I, I think one of the big things is is what will this tempo of the offense look like we've heard so much about what scott frost does that chip kelly style um you know just finding that rhythm i think that's going to be one of the more important things week one for this offense to establish the different paces the rhythm how they want to operate. We know a true freshman in Adrian Martinez will be the starting quarterback the first time ever in Nebraska school history a freshman has started at quarterback. So uh, there's a lot of intrigue there, but they've got the weapons on offense, guys. I think they can be a unit that averages over 40 points a game. I don't think that's out of the question. Um, and, you know, I think this first week it's going to be important uh, to kind of lay the base and lay the foundation of what you want to be. Yeah, when you talk about tempo, you, you mentioned it, Sean. That tempo only really kicks into high gear when things are clicking. When you get that first down on first, you know, your first play of, the, of a drive, and then you get rolling, and then the defense can't sub, and then you start going bang, bang, bang. And so without success and keeping drives on schedule, that tempo isn't necessarily as big of a weapon as it could be otherwise. And so we saw a glimpse of it in the spring game. You know, they, they were trying to go fast and there was a couple drives where things were working and you saw him kind of kick it into that extra gear. Uh, but you remember after that spring game, Frost, that he was actually disappointed with the tempo in that. And so um, how effective they are, especially early on, uh, could go a long way into seeing, you know, how, how well this offense is clicking. And if they can um, start to get to that, that level where this, when this offense is really clicking on all cylinders, uh, can, they, can they maintain that throughout the course of the game? And is the, you know, the quarterback and offensive line and running game and all that, are they ready to, um, I guess, produce early in drives and get those, that tempo on schedule early and often? Yeah, I think it, rhythm is important, especially when you're talking about a young quarterback. Um, but it, as far as the tempo goes, it goes beyond just staying on schedule and gaining yards. You know, uh, you're going to see the, the running backs run the football back to the, to the referee in, in the middle of the field and give it to the official hand it to him instead of you know throwing it to the sideline and then the sideline you know throwing it back in the middle of the field I mean it's just the little things that they're stressing uh, that that really cut down on on you know the the overall time and, and allow them to go much much faster and kind of keep the defense on their heels you guys as we discuss kind of other bigger things to watch what are you expecting just game day atmosphere we know the tunnel walk's going to be tweaked a little bit. Um, you know, they, they've already – did they – by the way, they got rid of the doors. Did you guys notice that? Yeah, they hung them up uh, somewhere else. They took them off the gate and hung them up somewhere else. So they they hung them in the stadium? Do you know where the doors went? I, I'm not sure exactly where they're hung. I want to say that they're they're in North Stadium or, or somewhere on East Stadium. So they didn't stadium. throw them away. They didn't throw them away, uh-uh. They're, they're hung up somewhere is what I was told. But the uh, Sam Francis – who's on the door? Bobby Reynolds, Sam Francis. Chamberlain. 
uh, Guy Chamberlain, Guy Chamberlain and then Bob Bob, Bob, Brown. Uh, Bob Brown are the four guys on the doors. Uh, they're no longer in the tunnel walk when the team comes out. Uh, they're going to have more of like a digital kind of Dactronics type scoreboard type mm-hmm. doorway. Um, and, you know, we'll get our first glimpse of that. But just the amount of like former players, I mean, just all of the extra things that are going to come with Saturday. I'm really excited to see it all play out. Yeah, they're telling people to be in your seats early uh, so you can be get the full tunnel walk experience. Because not only are there going to be, you know, new LED lights and, you know, all that, you know, smoking stuff and videos, uh, you know, during the actual tunnel walk. But I think they're going to have a special video that they're going to show. Um, there's probably going to be some guest appearances there, and it should be quite the spectacle. And uh, I think that's going to be maybe just the second storyline behind all this is the final. You know, the spring game was cool. You know, that was like kind of the unofficial debut, but this is the real deal. This is the official beginning of the Scott Frost era. And there was you know so much optimism, hope, and excitement tied to Scott and this staff and you know to, to, to get this thing finally underway after not only months of waiting but years of waiting to get this program back on track there, there's going to be a lot of emotions flowing in Memorial Stadium it's going to be quite the production there I mean uh, make no mistake that, that the athletic department in conjunction with Husker Vision and everybody else they're going to take full advantage of of that uh, of this night game here and, and going to make this one heck of a production all right well we've got a full show on tap we're going to get you ready for Nebraska and Akron as we'll talk offense of storylines we'll delve into the Tristan Jebbia decision and Adrian Martinez starting what to watch at running back and also get you ready for defense as there are no black shirts this week and we'll give our thoughts on that and much more that's all next in this week's edition of the Husker Online Show you're listening to the Husker Online Show your authority on Nebraska athletics well, you know, I can I can only tell you, uh, Sean. I ha- there was no indication to me whatsoever that any of this was going to take place. And if there was any indication to me, it would have been a coming upon me to say, "Hey, Coach Frost, I think this might take place. We got to have some forward thinking about it and the plan, so on and so forth." But I can tell you when I t- when I talked to uh, Tristan on Saturday, um, he said, "Coach, I'm, I'm going to work as hard as I ever have, and uh, when my number's called, I'll be ready to go, and I'll." be uh, one of uh, Adrian's biggest supporters and he, he thanked, thanked me for uh, our professionalism in terms of how we handled it and that he didn't have to hear it in the internet and all that sort of stuff. I said, hey listen, as long as Coach Frost is here, those things aren't going to take place. But And then uh, he called me on, I guess it was Sunday, and let me know, and which I appreciated obviously, and I wished him the best of luck if there's anything I could do for him. So I guess it's a long-winded way of answering your question. I had, I had no idea. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. And that was the end of the quarterback soap opera, we, as we know of here in Lincoln. I mean, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, the segment of the Husker Online Show, brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with locations in Omaha and Lincoln. Get on into Tanner's here on this Husker game day weekend as they will have all the action uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, you know, all in Monday, there's college football all four nights. Uh, so check out any one of the five Omaha or the one Lincoln location of Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. But guys, you, you look at the quarterback situation here at Nebraska. Tanner Lee declared for the NFL in January. Patrick O'Brien left Lincoln in April. Um, and then the final piece of the chapter, Tristan Jebbia announced um, the, the, the final day of the ad withdrawal day in Lincoln that he was leaving the program. So three scholarship quarterbacks that were technically on the team. And I still say Tanner Lee was on the team because when Scott Frost got hired, he talked after the press conference and spoke about Coach Frost, met with Coach Frost. So technically, you know, Frost did have a swing at him for a short while. Three scholarship guys now have left Lincoln. 
They're down to one. That's eligible for this season, Adrian Martinez. Uh, but, Nate, I'm going to go to you first on this one about Tristan Jebbia. I mean, you've been covering the Jebbia family, the, the story, uh, for many years. Uh, what was your level of surprise with the immediacy of how things shook out and played out this week? Well, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't truly shocked uh, that he decided to transfer. Um, and, and I think when you look at it through his perspective, it, it does kind of make sense because you're given, if you're a college uh, athlete, student athlete, you have basically a four-year window to, to make the most out of, out of your experience. And for Tristan, um, you know, went through this battle in the spring, went through the battle in fall camp, and at the, you know, at the 11th hour uh, was told that he didn't win it. Uh, and if there was ever a, a moment where he was going to you know, maybe have the best shot at, at beating Adrian Martinez, who has coincidentally the same amount of eligibility as, as Tristan does, it was going to be now. And so since that didn't happen, um, you, you know, you, do you expect him to kind of sit behind and, and hope that Trist or hope that Adrian doesn't perform well or hope that he gets injured so that you get your opportunity on the football field? I, I think that um, I think it kind of made sense to me that that uh, he looked looked elsewhere to try and find a, a, a job to kind of play and, and to put a you know put things together to kind of be to go to the NFL or whatever his aspirations are but um, it's a tough deal and, and I don't think it's a reflection of him as, as being a, a poor teammate or anything I think it's more of a reflection of him just trying to take advantage of, of that uh, four-year window of eligibility yeah, I'd say the biggest surprise was just the timing of it but at the same time you know Nebraska kind of made that bet you know they wanted to draw this competition out as long as possible and you know they haven't obviously said this but you could probably draw the conclusion that part of that was to make sure that those guys stuck around whoever didn't get the job had no choice but to stick it out well uh they made their decision the day well essentially a day or two before the final ad drop deadline for the university academic calendar and that very next day uh Tristan Jebby is on his way out and so you know I think that that kind of backfired on him a little bit uh I think that they probably thought they had waited long enough uh to where you know the, the, the competition had gone on uh, long enough to where Jebby wasn't going to have the option of transferring. And you see this more and more around college football. I mean, there's a reason that UCLA has three oars, or I guess three players with uh, oars next to their name as the starter on their week one depth chart. It's, uh, you know, teams can't, you know, because of the transfer era that we live in, uh, you got to kind of play games a little bit with how you do jet charts. You got to make people feel good and uh, create uh, an illusion of competition if you need to. Uh, just because if you make a decision too early, you're going to create a bigger window for guys to move on and try and their chances elsewhere. So I think just in, in terms of maintaining a roster, um, that's going to be a game that coaches, you know, Nebraska and beyond are going to have to figure out how to play better uh, as years go on. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan. Robin Washhead and Nate Klaus as we talk quarterbacks here. And, uh, Nate, I, I just think when you look at quarterbacks in general and, and how they're recruited, it's just different, too. I mean, I, I think back in the day, you had a lot of kind of local guys that, that weren't really developed. They were raw products. You'd bring them in, and they would get their turn. And, yeah, then occasionally it changed when you get the Turner Gills and the Tommy Frazier's and the Steve Taylor's. But Nebraska's never really had to worry about this type of stuff when you kind of study the history. But when you start bringing in these higher-profile California, Florida, Texas-type prospects, I just think the DNA and the mindset of all these quarterbacks is a lot different. Well, yeah, all these big-time quarterbacks nowadays have been training with a with a quarterback guru since they were you know in middle school and, and in some cases even before that. And so 
they've been groomed to kind of be the guy uh, all the way from the time that they could really throw a football. And, and so when they finally land at their college of choice and that doesn't happen, you know, when they don't become the guy, um, you know, that's it, it's it's open season. And, and this is a trend across the board where you see a lot of high profile quarterbacks that, that maybe lose the job or, or never get the job, go ahead and, and look elsewhere to, to try and find a job that they can own. So, um, you know, I just think it's just kind of the, the way things are now across the board. This isn't unique to Nebraska, um, but it does. I mean, it does certainly put an emphasis on how you recruit and, and the, the need to, to recruit top notch quarterbacks each and every year. All right, let's move on to running backs now. As we kind of look at what, going into this game, Nebraska put an or on the depth chart at running back. Uh, you've got Divino Zigbo or uh, Greg Bell. Actually, Greg Bell was listed first technically. Robin, what are you expecting to see out of those guys? Well, I think Greg Bell is going to be your, your starter on the first play, uh, but there's no doubt about it. Divine Zigbo is going to play. Maurice Washington is going to play, and uh, they could probably get a little further down that pecking order uh, depending on how the game goes. But all three of those guys bring something so different to the table that they're all going to have their own roles. I mean, obviously, Greg Bell, I think he's their closest to the do-it-all back, who can run between the tackles, be your game-breaker, home-run threat, catch pass out of the backfield, and uh, do all the things they're looking for out of that position. Uh, Maurice Washington is your home-run hitter. Uh, they, that was the immediate you know, thing that he showed on his very first practice as a Husker was his ability to uh, break plays open for chunks of yards. And so that that is obviously a key element to this offense, and he's going to bring that element to the table. Divina Zigbo, uh, as Troy Walters affectionately called him uh, on Wednesday, is Mr. Reliable. You know, he's not going to do anything crazy. He's not going to bust off the 50, 60-yard run. He's going to get you four to five yards when you need four to five yards. And there is something to be said for that. Uh, you know, Walters said that, you know, Zigbo got in much better shape to where he can actually contribute in this offense. Uh, and he knows the playbook. He knows you know, what he's doing pass blocking. He knows what he's doing with the run game. And he knows how to run routes. And so, you know, while he doesn't have that electric um, – I guess, ability that some of those other guys have, he is going to, you know what you're going to get out of him. And when you need, it's third and three, and you need four yards, a Zigbo is going to be the guy that I think they can lean on to, you know, grind it out and, you know, convert first downs. Yeah, and, and you have to tip your hat to Ozigbo. Ozib, Jeez. There you go. Uh, because of, of what he's kind of been through. I mean, uh, I don't know if, if the doghouse is, is what you'd call it that he was in with the prior staff at, at times, but he, he completely disappeared at times. Um, and then, you know, I, I think that he has really reshaped his body and, and is definitely committed to, to trying to, to have as successful senior season as he possibly can. So uh, tip of the hat to Divine. Well, there's no question we're going to see more of a running back by committee approach this year for Nebraska as uh, at least four different guys. If not, you know, we might see Jalen Bradley and Mikhail Wilbon um, in there at some point as well, and even Wyatt Mazur. I mean, they, they feel like they're seven as Miles Jones can play the running back and receiver type role as well. Uh, they love the depth there, so that will be one of the uh, more interesting positions here to watch on Saturday. When we come back, we'll talk defense. There were no black shirts handed out. We'll give our thoughts on that and much more. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. There's two contributing factors right now. Um, number one, the oars and the ands and the oars you guys mentioned. Some of those battles aren't, aren't won yet, are still being fought. Um, so we didn't feel like handing out a black shirt to one of those guys that's an or or an and would be fair until we get a live evaluation. Um, the other thing we, we decided was the last time we took the field, 
and I say we because I signed up for this. I'm part of it. Last time we took the field was not a, a very great performance for the black shirts, so we don't feel like anybody's deserves one yet until we see what they do in Memorial Stadium. Um, you know, that's that's what it's going to be, and then that's that's what it's going to be. You know, we, we obviously have to prove that we deserve a black shirt, prove that we're willing to work hard and go out there and just lay it on the line for this university. So, you know, I, I think it's a good decision to, you know, hold out on the black shirts and, you know, um, get, earn, earn the black shirts, you know. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and that was DiCaprio Boodle giving his reaction to not getting a black shirt as – um, you know, every coach has been a little bit different with the tradition. Eric Shenander, as you heard, chose not to give out the black shirts uh, this year to Nebraska until they really proved like they earned it. And more of a Bo Pelini type approach, uh, but I don't think it's going to go as far as October or November um, as, for, you know, when those are some of the times Pelini waited, Robin, to hand out those black shirts. Yeah, there's some comparisons with how uh, Frost and Shenander are handling black shirts to what Bo did, but. My hope is they figure out a plan and stick to it. Don't do this thing where you're changing the criteria of what them it out. is to be a black shirt every single week where they finally have a good game, you give out the black shirts, and then they get housed by 40, and then you take them all away. Uh, some guys get them, and then you add more, and then you take away some. I mean, that just kind of takes away from the whole point of their tradition. You know, I'm not saying just give them to all 11 starters and just, you know, keep it that way but pick what your plan is going to be and stick with it i mean it's this consistency the, the black shirt tradition if nothing else needs consistency yeah the way i see it is that chenander is trying to kind of establish a new um i guess mentality or a new uh kind of uh level of 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 uh acceptance i guess or whatever you want to call it i, I think that he wants to show these guys what it takes to earn it and and you only have one chance to really to really set that, I think, expectation level uh, to the team and, and to everybody else that comes after after this. So uh, the guys that, that meet that expectation level will, will probably get them after the Akron game, and, uh, and then we'll kind of move on from there. But I don't think that this will be a deal every season where we wait until after game one to see the black shirts handed Well, up. yeah, and I think next year, like let's just say Ben Stilley and the Davis twins and you know, Muhammad Barry and, and Honus and some of these returning guys in 2019, I, I think they will be week one black shirts. What do you agree at this time next year when, when game one starts? You would think so. And I think part of that is why they've held off a little bit. For one, there's competition at positions that just hasn't been, you know, filled out yet. Uh, but two, you know, as Shanander mentioned in the open, you know, the last time this defense took the field, they got housed. Against his alma mater, by yeah, the way. Yeah, <laughs> and they got housed in a real bad way. And so uh, I think that, that kind of goes into this whole thinking of they need to re-earn the right to wear those jerseys. And um, let's keep in mind that Central Florida's defense wasn't exactly some, you know, lockdown unit. You know, they gave up a lot of yards and a lot of points at times. Only three games over 30 points, but I two think, were against top 10 units. Yeah, I'm just saying, but I think that even if there are some numbers given up, I think as long as the effort is there and they're doing the Culture. things that, yeah, they're doing the things that these coaches are asking from them, uh, you know, I think that's going to weigh a lot heavier than, you know, just the number of sacks or uh, points or yards they give up. It's prove it season. And so go out there and prove it under the lights. And, and I'm fine with that. I think that's I honestly I think that's probably the the best way to handle it is is to go out there and, and prove that you deserve a black shirt and and if you do then you'll get one all right guys let's let's talk about the new things we're going to see with this defense I, I think when you look at the unit right now um, you're going to see Cameron uh, uh, Caleb Tanner at outside linebacker he's going to be one of the real new faces we know uh, Will Honus at, at linebacker in the middle is going to be a newer guy uh, that we'll see on the field Trey Neal at safety 
Um, then, then you'll have uh, at quarterback or sorry, cornerback Cameron Taylor um, as one of the main corners out there. So at least four new guys on this field in key roles making their debuts on Saturday. Deontay Williams and Deontay Braxton Williams. Clark uh, also throw those guys in there. So I mean, there's a number of new faces. Uh, that are going to hopefully change the look of this defense. And that was something that absolutely had to be addressed this offseason. And, um, you know, Frost made it no bones about it. You know, he pointed the secondary as things that needed a major overhaul, and they overhauled it. Uh, I mean, the the amount of – they look at the two deep, and the number of guys on there that were on the team last year, um, it's a pretty massive uh, turnaround. So uh, that hopefully will kind of uh, improve the overall level of play. And I think with that influx of new faces and new talent – you're returning guys like a DiCaprio Boodle, like a Lamar Jackson, um, like, you know, even to an extent, Aaron Williams uh, have all raised their level of play because, you know, like like Nate said, it's prove it season. And if you don't prove it, you're going to get passed up in a hurry. And so I think that that, that kind of uh, revolving uh, or I guess rehash of the whole secondary uh, has really changed the entire thinking of the competition because, you know, guys can go out there and play have a bad game. And there was nobody there to replace them. You know, those cornerbacks weren't going to lose their jobs if they got torched in the game. And that's not going to be the case this year. Uh, you have some young guys that have been a lot better than people expected. You have guys like Trey Neal who know the defense better than anyone on that roster. And so this the whole shape of this defense is going to look a lot different, particularly on the back end. Yeah, a couple guys that aren't necessarily new faces that I'm kind of looking forward to seeing on the field are JoJo Doman. Uh, who's just had a, a great fall camp is kind of he's back healthy after two ACL uh, injuries and and is really I mean had to come out of completely nowhere uh, because I mean he didn't have any film for this staff to look at last year or, or anything and has to and has really earned his spot uh, you know being listed at number two at safety there and then Colin Miller too is another guy uh, that I think is really impressed and, co one uh, yeah and they they moved him uh, as an inside linebacker now and, and Barrett Root said that. Um, you know, they have him kind of learning both inside linebacker positions. But, yeah, as a co-1, I mean, that's – I don't think any of us really saw that happening either. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing those two guys play this Saturday as well. I'm actually looking forward to seeing a 3-4 defense uh, because last year um, – An actual 3-4 defense? Or just the actual defense. <laughs> you know, I, we do the Big Red Wrap-Up show every Tuesday during the season, and Jay Moore and Jay Foreman, two former Huskers that played in 3-4 defenses in the NFL – uh, they both said this on air. They're like, yeah, you know, we both played in the 3-4 and, you know, we're paid professionally to do it. And what Nebraska is running right now is not a 3-4. Um, so we will see what a 3-4 defense looks like, even though we thought we were going to see that last year. Um, and it, it will be interesting to see just the aggression that Shenander plays with because I do expect him to turn guys loose, get after quarterbacks, no more three-man rushes. And I think Nate and I might have heard this at the coaches' clinic. Did, did Eric Schnander kind of make fun of three-man rushes a little bit uh, at one point, just kind of saying that what, it's worthless? I mean, yeah. You're not going to get to a quarterback. It's three-on-six or three-on-five. Yeah, he basically said you might as well just not play with a, a defensive line if you're, if you're not going to – uh, or if you're just only going to send three, uh, it, it is worthless. So, uh, but yeah, they are going to be way more aggressive, and and you're starting to see the team, or at least hear the, that the team is is kind of taking a, taking a hold of that mentality. Um, you know, Travis Fisher said th- this past week that last spring they had five or six interceptions, and so far through fall camp they've they've had at least 27. 
so I mean that's that is a just an unreal uh, you know turnaround is in terms of production and and getting your hands on the football and, and I know some people will say well what, what does that say about the quarterbacks but I mean I, I think it does mean that, that they're being way more aggressive in getting the football yeah and it's coincidentally uh, one of the guys that led the entire defense in interceptions was Braxton Clark true freshman so uh, you know I think that goes back to this. I think he had five and Lamar Jackson had four yeah so that, I mean a complete facelift has done a lot of good and with a three four you can get creative with your pass rush with your aggression uh, and I want to see the corners play you know closer than 15 yards off the line of scrimmage uh, may- maybe press a receiver or two and then uh, that pass rush I think the edge they can they can do a lot of different things especially with those linebackers and don't underestimate Mick Stoltenberg's growth of the nose I think that's going to make a big difference here for Nebraska defensively and also having a quality couple quality backups in Peyton Newell and Damian Daniels there on the middle. That's going to be a big part of the 3-4 defense. All right, when we come back, uh, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Some guys have the gift to do it, and some guys don't. He has the ability to, 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 to call plays and be able to set things up, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's awesome, honestly, when, when I'm, you know, we all know the game plan, but when he's calling plays, it's fun because you're like, wow, I mean, perfect call, boom, there it is, touchdown. I mean, it's it's poetry. He's always te- teasing his mind. We're always doing trivia. We're always doing things, so his mind's always firing. He's done that since a little kid. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and uh, we are pleased to bring in Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler here for the mailbag segment. Mike, uh, what do you got? You got a full bag of questions? Uh, yeah, we got some good ones here for you guys. Uh, we'll start off, dive right in here. Uh, number one, uh, Coach Frost at UCF was aggre- or UCF was aggressive in trying to convert fourth down opportunities. Can we expect the same at NU, or was this go-for-it tendency due to inconsistent play by the UCF's kicker and punter? You know, that's an interesting thing um, because that Chip Cadley mindset at Oregon over the years had always been to – go for it on fourth down or, um, you know, go for two a lot. And I I think you're still going to see a lot of that aggressive edge, Robin. Yeah, you are. Uh, Trey Neal even said as much. Uh, In fact, he said that anytime they get inside the opponent's 40-yard line, they're going to go for it. So I think that that's – he kind of tipped his hand a little bit on Scott Frost's mentality and the aggressiveness uh, in which he's going to call plays. And I think going for fourth down – uh, especially anytime they get in that, you know, deep in relatively deep in opponent territory is going to be kind of a no-brainer decision for them. Yeah, they're going to continue to be aggressive. I, I, I don't expect there to be much of, of any difference between what they've done in the past and what they'll do this year, regardless of the kicker situation. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and A. Klaus for taking your questions in the mailbag. All right, guys, number two, you guys couldn't get away from a quarterback question. Sorry about that. Uh, it is a two-parter, though, and it's only one. Uh, Scott Frost said he would have handled things differently with how the battle for starting quarterback position unfolded. What do you think he would have done differently, and also what would you have done differently? I don't know. I mean, there's part of me that thinks that maybe he would have extended this thing longer. Maybe he would have pulled the Nick Saban and threw an oar. And, I mean, maybe just start Jebby out of the gates and, and, and play Martinez both almost in an equal role week one. Um, I know, yeah, you can't take any game for granted and say, oh, we're going to win this game and we can do what we want. But you would hope that Nebraska at home with the advantages they have being a new staff with a new system being shown, they could go out there and beat Akron without really having to, uh, you know, display much. But, um, you know, it's a tough one. I'm sure one, especially if Martinez gets hurt this year, that Scott Frost is going to look back on. I think another route they could have taken, too, is they could have pushed harder for Noah Vedrill to potentially get that waiver. Um, you know, obviously they kind of let that process 
uh, play itself out and uh, seemed kind of resigned to the fact that he wasn't going to get it. And then um, obviously with Jebbia's decision, that all of a sudden made that a much more pressing issue for him. So who knows if that would have had, they could have had any control over that whatsoever, but they could have made maybe a stronger, uh, more pertinent case about it. Yeah, I, I think if if he could go back and redo it, I I'm pretty confident that we'd probably see both those guys play an awful lot and, and maybe have him have him say that the competition was going to go into week one and they were going to finalize things, you know, depending on how how things shook out after the Akron game. Uh, that way, uh, you've you basically ensure yourself that both quarterbacks are remaining on the roster uh, for the entire season. All right, number three uh, is nine wins the ceiling for this team this year, or could they shock the world and win double digit games? I mean, double digit games, and you know, it's drop the mic, coach of the year, right there. I mean, I, I just don't see uh, double digit wins happening for Nebraska. Um, you know, I, I'm more in the camp of they got eight. That that's almost top end. Nine, you know, we're on 72nd and Dodge Street, like it's 1995 all over again. So. I don't know, Robin. Uh, I mean, nine, yeah, I, I think that's maybe the absolute most if everything fell 100% right. But eight, to me, seems a little bit more realistic as the high watermark. Yeah, eight's the ceiling for me uh, just because of the schedule. Um, you know, obviously, I think they're capable of being a lot better than people think. But at the same time, there's still plenty of questions that we just don't know and won't know until they actually take the field against a live opponent. So at this point, I'm not comfortable going any higher than eight. Yeah, I think nine would probably be the the most I could see them, you know, getting this season, and that's if everything goes 100 percent their way all all year long. I I don't see there being any way that that this team could could reach 10 this year. You know, you know, looking forward into the future, things could be different, but uh, double digits in year one would be. I mean, that's pretty aggressive. Taking your questions here in the mailbag. All right, next one. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on the new headset rule? We talked about it a little bit before, but what are your guys' thoughts? It's the Alabama rule. I mean, I think some of these SEC teams, especially schools like Alabama that have so much money, uh, they can basically continue to add and create spots on a coaching staff, uh, but they're not one of the 10 assistant coaches. They are just other guys that can wear headsets. But then on game days, all of a sudden, they can act like coaches on the sideline, uh, in the box, et cetera. So, um, it's an interesting rule they put in, uh, but I think with the amount of money, especially in the Big Ten and the SEC, um, you know, schools like that could really have an unfair advantage of having more headsets. Yeah, they had to get it in check eventually. Uh, I mean, obviously with Alabama, I mean, they were going to push that limit as far until as they could until somebody told them no. So, yeah, I think this was kind of a natural thing the NCAA had to do uh, to just, you know, put a stop to eventually having up to you know 50 or whatever quote-unquote volunteers, assistants, analysts, uh, coaches, and whatnot, all being involved in the actual game-calling operation. Yeah, if there's one thing the NCAA is fairly consistent with, it is kind of kind of going after unfair advantages, and, and that was definitely an unfair advantage uh, with Alabama. When you're talking about having Nick Saban and a guy like Butch Jones and Hugh Freeze and, you know, guys like that <laughs> all on the headset at once, uh, in addition to all your other uh, you know, assistant coaches and, and analysts and graduate assistants, so on and so forth. I mean, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty rare and unfair. All right, next one. Do we know when the black shirts will be handed out? I have a pretty good feeling. I don't know. I, mean, I, I think if Nebraska comes out and plays well in this game, um, you will see at least no more than 11. I, th- I think Eric Shenander has got kind of that get-off-my-lawn, old-school approach that I'm not going to hand out a bunch to nickels and pass rush specialists and dime guys and 
you know, seniors like Kevin Williams who might have their feelings hurt if they're not a starter, even though technically he was behind two NFL guys. Um, so uh, I, I think uh, you will – I predict you will see them next week. It's just too bad that the kicker and punter aren't going to get black shirts. That's anymore. a bowl game deal. <laughs> Remember that. That's uh, a bowl game. I mean, that was like a Charlie McBride bowl game deal that dated back to the 90s. Okay. Well, whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah, my lawn. Uh, yeah, and what's going to be interesting is how many end up getting them. I mean, it's not just going to be their top 11 guys. You know, He said they could be one or there could be 11. Uh, and I think a lot of that is going to go into what happens uh, against Akron. Uh, you know, that, that was the one remaining test for the defensive players is, you know, they've you know, gone through an entire offseason of practices, uh, but the one layer that they haven't been able to, you know, evaluate is how they're going to do, you know, when the, the bullets are flying and the spotlight is on them. And so until they, you know, actually could see how guys perform in that setting under that type of pressure, I think they're going to hold off and probably wait until at least early next week, you know, maybe before Monday's practice, uh, before actually giving out their first round of black shirts. Yeah, I think we'll see black shirts on, on Monday. I just don't know how many. And I'm predicting less than 11. Uh, I, I think I'm with you, Sean. I don't think that there will be more than 11 at any point in time. But I think for week one, there's only going to be maybe a handful of guys that, that really maybe live up to the standard that they want to set. So on second down specialist on – this play won't get one. No, I don't think we're going to be seeing that. <laughs> All, right. All right, Mike, we got time for one last question in the mailbag. What do you have? All right, last one. Does Scott Frost have any eligibility remaining like Scott Beluka character from Necessary Roughness? Well, I'll tell you, Mario Verdusco, the quarterback's <laughs> coach, asked me today if I could be the number four quarterback. So uh, they are thin when it comes to that quarterback position. And, um, you know, to be fair, though, I think the situation and, you know, when you compare what Central Florida had a year ago, they had McKenzie Milton, as we know. But um, when you compare Andrew Bunch to, say, Noah Vedrill as a true freshman last year, I don't know if this, there, there was that much of a difference where, if, you know, if um, Milton got hurt last year, you know, I, I think uh, UCF would have been in, you know, they wouldn't have been able to go undefeated like they ended up doing. And obviously with, with the same situation right now with Martinez, I mean, if they lost him. We know the season would take a turn. Well, Bill Moose got in on the joke, too, uh, on Wednesday when he addressed a Special Olympics uh, organization or something like that, some sort of event. And uh, his opening statements were, does anybody here know how to play quarterback? <laughs> so apparently uh, this is a, a, a running joke within the program. But, yeah, I'm with you, Sean. I think that, um, you know, it's not an ideal situation to not have the obviously two four-star recruits as your top two quarterbacks, but um, they're far just far from unprecedented to have a drop-off like this uh, from starter to backup. Hell, Nate, in 2004, they had yeah. a wrestler as their backup, Ryan Goodman. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, obviously you, you got to be careful with Martinez and not put him in, in any unnecessary danger, but you also got to maximize what he does best, and his ability to run the football is a big deal. So I, I don't think they're going to change much of what they do. All right, when we come back, we're going to close the show with some recruiting talk. Nate Klaus will join us next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, M McKenzie's probably similar. Um, thought McKenzie was ready to play as a freshman. He just didn't have that spring ball. Got hurt a little in fall camp, so he's a little behind. Uh, but when we got him out there, boy, you could tell right away he was a playmaker. Um, there were some mistakes, some freshman mistakes that were inevitable. Uh, but he was the best we had, and he just kept getting better to the point of uh, being one of the best players in the nation in year two. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Final segment, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we're going to talk some recruiting. As Nate, it's not going to be a major recruiting weekend for Nebraska, but 
maybe they're if you were to kind of put a wish list of guys in town, they're going to have some pretty big guys on that wish list in Lincoln here for this season opener. Yeah, not the biggest weekend in terms of uh, the the overall number Volume. of players, but yeah, in terms of um, you know at, you know athletes that they cover, yeah, this is this is a, a, a key weekend when you're talking about four star cornerback Taiwan Mullen, uh, four star athlete you know wide receiver slash running back Wandale Robinson, um, you know offensive tackle Bryce Benhart out of Minnesota. I mean, um, and then Brant Banks, a defensive end out of out of Houston. You, you, those are four guys that they that they'd really really like. And um, I know Benhart, who uh, Nebraska really had to to fight to get on campus. It may not be as ranked as high as the other guys, but uh, that make no mistake that he is uh, maybe even the most important visitor this weekend. We all know that Nebraska's offensive line is is uh, really thin, and that's a key spot in this recruiting class. and And Ben Hart is big, six nine, three hundred and one pound, three hundred five pound uh, tackle out of Minnesota. Um, is is a huge huge target for the Huskers and and they had to petition the NCAA to get him on campus because he actually doesn't start school until September fourth. So and the way the NCAA rules read is that uh, you have to have taken or started your senior season before you can take your first official visit in the fall. But they got the waiver; he'll be on campus, and um, you know that's that's a big deal for the Huskers this weekend. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, uh, Nate, and let's talk more about Wandell Robinson. I mean, you kind of look at what's happened uh, with the running back position here in the last week. Nebraska essentially kind of parted ways with Thomas Grayson. Ronald Tompkins goes down with a knee injury in, in what was all of a sudden kind of a stockpiled position in the recruiting class. There, there's a lot of questions, and uh, with Mr. Robinson on campus, um, this is going to be a big opportunity uh, to close out really on a guy that I think is tailor-made for the Scott Frost offense. He is perfectly, you know, the, the perfect match in this offense. If you drew up a player that would fit that duck R position that we always talk about in terms of being a guy that can uh, take handoffs in, in the backfield and line up as a slot receiver, it would be Wondell Robinson. Um, and he is uh, an explosive athlete. To, to put it in perspective, last week uh, in his high school football game, I think he had 12 touches and six touchdowns. Uh, he scored t- on touchdown runs, touchdown catches, and returned a punt for a score. Had had close to 300 yard, 300 all-purpose yards. So, uh, I mean, he's averaging a touchdown every two touches in high school. Do we know what level that is? I mean, I, I get asked that a lot because I mean, it doesn't look like it's. I mean, he's not playing at the top level of it's, Kentucky. It's not, even it, no, it's not like the Louisville. Um, you know, he's not playing the top teams from Louisville, like a Class B level, probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's a mid level. So. Nonetheless, um, but yeah, I mean, it, regardless, I mean, he is—he's proven himself at the Rivals Five Star Challenge. Even uh, he was one of the top overall players at the Great five, Hands. Yeah, unbelievable. So. Uh, but yeah, he is the perfect fit. So it did not come as a surprise that Nebraska kind of parted ways with Thomas Grayson prior to Wandell Robinson arriving uh, on campus for his official visit. Uh, but you're right with Ronald Tompkins going down with that ACL injury. It, uh, it, did, it does kind of make that position a little bit more dicey and maybe even place more of an importance on Nebraska landing Wandell, um, you know, eventually. I'm not sure it will happen this weekend, but uh, considering where Nebraska's position with him prior to the visit, I think they'll be in the running until the very end. And Nate, you know, you look at the attrition that's happened for Nebraska within fall camp. I mean, the numbers kept growing and they even grew over the last week with 
you know, Will Jackson, Avery Roberts, Tristan Jebbia, uh, Jalen Barnett, you know, four guys retiring or leaving the team, you know, it, it just solidifies our thoughts that this is going to be one of the biggest recruiting class number-wise we've seen at Nebraska easily since 2005. Yeah, going all the way back to the Callahan era. So, um, And we've been saying, I mean, we've been consistent in saying that this will probably be a full boat, but uh, now I'm thinking that we could even see Nebraska a go. A full boat with a couple of lifeboats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if all of a sudden we see Nebraska end up signing you know, close to 28 players or so by the time February rolls around, uh, considering the amount of attrition that's already happen uh, and, and I think there will probably be more guys to, to leave or to move on at the end of the season and then with with their ability to count some scholarships back at the mid-year back to uh, the 2018 class I mean they're they are going to be able to to massage the numbers and, and, and maximize uh, this recruiting class to its to its fullest some extent. roster management yeah and they need it because there are some key spots here that that they have to get filled um, you know, and, and like I mentioned earlier, most notably probably that that offensive line because at the end of this season, you're only going to have eight scholarship uh, offensive linemen returning. So, and ideally, you have you know 15, 16 guys on scholarship. So, um, so that's going to be a huge group uh, in this class. And that and that run, of, I mean, there's going to be a run of JUCOs that pull off here. I don't know what positions particularly, Nate. Maybe a pass rusher, a tackle, maybe a secondary guy. But don't you expect to see a run of JUCO players here before the end of the, you know, obviously before the December signing date? Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see them take another junior college offensive uh, lineman or two to go along with Desmond Bland. Uh, I could see them going after uh, an outside linebacker slash, you know, pass rusher, um, maybe even maybe even a linebacker. You know, they've with the departure of Avery Roberts, all of a sudden they're they're pretty light there at that uh, at the inside linebacker spot. So uh, if they find the right guy there, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they do take uh, take a couple more JUCOs and and most definitely they're going to have more junior college players in this class uh, you know now than I would have expected them to have and that play, a couple months ago. They want to see a few of these games you know like I mean think about Mike Williams I mean if you were recruiting JUCOs a year ago right now you didn't know who Mike Williams no. was he came from Georgia Southern which you didn't know who he was at that time to East Mississippi and you know the TV show college yeah yeah but no one knew who he was and that's I mean you credit Ryan Hell the grinder that he is that he found Mike Williams before the rest of America apparently did because I don't know how Nebraska – when you think about it now, the guy's starting for Nebraska right away. How they got him so easily is beyond me because – this is a guy that could start for a lot of programs. Yeah, he really could, and and, uh, and he's a high character guy. Yeah, he's a high character guy. I mean, he he didn't go junior college because he was forced to. He went junior college because he knew he was better. He bet than on Georgia. himself. Yeah, he knew he was better than Georgia Southern, and not only that, but he he had some options to sign early in December and held out. Uh, he held out as long as you could possibly hold out, and, and Nebraska came through with the offer um, right before Tennessee did uh, at, at the end, and, and they got the visit. He liked it, and he essentially just stayed on campus to start his, uh, you know, his academic career last spring here. But, um, but yeah, there's going to be some new names popping up in the junior college realm. Uh, I'm I'm certain of that because of the the way that that Ryan Held recruits and, and kind of the connections that he has in that world. And hey, we got about 30 seconds. So so, but you you were at the Burke game last week, Lincoln Southeast. Um, so you saw Chris Hickman, Nick Henrich, uh, Xavier Watts, Isaac Gifford, a number of the top prospects in the state. What was your biggest takeaway? 
Well, my biggest takeaway is that Burke is is loaded. I mean, that that is a program. They're ranked number one uh, right now, and and I think even though they all say they don't deserve that number one ranking, um, they're going to be hard to unseat because they are they're deep. And and when you've got guys like Nick Henrich and um, and Chris Hickman on that defense, and Xavier Watts there even playing safety, I mean that is one heck of a defense. And and Henrich is I mean he's he's uh, he's a heck of a leader. He's he's a kind of a throwback player physical guy and um and he kind of almost reminds you a little bit of a of a Barrett Rude type of guy he's he's uh he takes charge uh and everyone kind of raises their game around him so uh, it's going to be fun to watch that Burke Bulldog team going forward well lots to keep up with we'll keep you covered on that on Husker Online Nebraska Akron Saturday night seven o'clock on Fox and we'll have all the coverage for you this weekend on Husker Online Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.